Hey -o. welcome again to Fanboys Book Club. I am your fanboy Eric. This is episode 10. We're going to talk about book number 19, Fahrenheit 451, and book number 20, Of Mice and Men. Now, for those who don't know, I am not a book reader. I'm not an avid reader. And then one day I decided I'm going to read books. So I picked books from lists, greatest lists, and some personal picks of my own. We're also going to talk about why I like these books and if these books have been adapted. Because more not, uh, more not, uh, more than anything, most of these books have been adapted into something. So again, the first one's going to be for Fahrenheit 451 and then Of Mice and Men. So the first book, Fahrenheit 451, this is book 19 out of the 50 books I plan on reading. Uh, this is, this was on a list. I believe this was on 125 Books We Love, which was published, which was put out by the New York Public Library before the apocalypse. Uh, this is a science fiction book. It was written in... In... 1953, it was published in 1953, and it is 256 pages, and it was written by Ray Bradbury. Now, Bradbury is considered one of the premier sci-fi writers. It was like building blocks of sci-fi. Ray Bradbury, Isaac Asimov, and Dingle Fudge, McDillicuddy, and uh, what? Uh, some other people, it doesn't matter. Uh, Frank Herbert, I think. Oh, it doesn't matter. So, Fahrenheit 451 is a dystopian novel. It is, um, takes place, it's supposed to be like in the non-distance future. So, this is 1953. So, you know, probably it's supposed to be, let's see, the year 1999. And, like I said, this is a dystopian future. Where all reading and all books have been outlawed. Completely outlawed. And there are firemen. Now firemen in this future don't put out fires. They start fires. So everything in the society in this world has been fireproofed. So there's no need for firefighters who put fires out. But if you're found with a book, or if you're known to have a book, the firefighters will come and they will put them out. You know, they'll, uh, um, they'll torture books. They'll torture library. Whatever you have, they'll, they'll confiscate them and they'll set them on fire. So, the main character's name is Guy. Jay. He's a fireman. And he starts to question his existence as a firefighter and his existence on this in this place. Like, are we doing the right thing? And you have to remember, this is a society that's pretty much raised into not knowing books. Like, they, they're not... You either... You're either familiar with the books or you're not. And if you are familiar with the books, chances are you own a book. If you're not familiar with books, then you don't really know 
what books entail. It's only what people have told you, what the society has told you, what other firemen have told you. And really what this boils down to is information. And that's really what they've outlawed. They've outlawed information. And the society has deemed information bad. And it's about conformity. So everyone conforms because they all believe that uh, books or in a higher case information is bad. And at the same time, uh, they go along with this rule of not having any books. And really is the paranoia is like up to a thousand if if anyone acts a different way. Like if you act... If you act a certain way, like um, eccentric or knowledgeable or uh, kind of like have a lust for life. Because it seems like everyone in this society are just like super depressed, but they don't express it outside of their home. And so the people who are happy, the people who seem free, uh, the people who have like a free spirit kind of attitude, that's looked down upon because there's something wrong with you because you've been it's almost like books are a drug and you know like we think of life as a certain way and when we see somebody acting out of out of the ordinary we automatically think that person's on drugs somebody acting crazy somebody acting silly someone doing abnormal things this is like well that person's on drugs and it's sort of the same thing books are like seen as a drug because they're outlawed and they're looked down upon and so guy what a dumb name kind of starts to question all this and he's secretly hoarding books because he's when he goes out on a call and he uh, burns these books up he secretly have been stealing them. And it's also about his relationship with his wife, who at one point tries to kill herself, and then he helps her, he saves her, basically. And she doesn't talk about it. And they both act like nothing's wrong. And just society is just very depressing. And the people who have the books, they are sacrificing a lot I mean they're sacrificing their freedom uh, which is ironic because the books represent freedom and when they're caught with books a number of things can happen obviously they're going to go to jail or they're going to get arrested but in one case in particular they go and the woman I mean they set the books on fire which ends up setting her whole house on fire and she ends up Staying in the house while it's engulfed in flames. Because the point is, it's like, you've ruined my life. You've ruined my life to the point where I don't want it anymore. And so, uh, so he just goes through the struggle. And he eventually, his superior officer or superior, his like the chief of the fire department, or the chief of the uh, fire station, kind of gets wind that he's kind of, you know, reading these books. And he goes through this this long monologue about why books are evil. 
And you know, the problem with information is in, in, in our reality, in, in real life, there's good info and there's bad info. There's info that has lies or info that only has one side to the story. There's an info with agendas. And then there's info that fuels your imagination or fuels your, your mind or true facts about life, the world, science, math, whatever. But in this book, in this society, it's all bad. It's all bad because there is bad information. And you can't, like, they, they basically ingrained in their brains that there's no way to tell the difference between good and bad information, so therefore all of it's bad. And it's basically when you form an opinion. When you form an opinion, therefore it's bad information. And that's how they see the Bible, as it's an opinion, so therefore it's bad information. And they say that for every anything. And even though there is good information, there's real facts about nature, the bad info outweighs the good. And so as the chief is telling him this, Guy starts to realize that the chief has indulged in books at one point. And the chief says, oh no, so there's a quote. So Guy tries to escape. I'm not going to reveal the rest of it. But he meets a character and who was a, who was a professor. Like That's the other thing. Colleges, universities, all gone. Professors, for the most part in the beginning, they were arrested because obviously professors and people who worked in, in education couldn't give up books right away or easily. But some of them ended up going underground and hiding their books or hoard, you know, hoarding their books. And... Um, he meets this one professor. Because that's the thing. It's, it's not really about books necessarily. It's about info. And so the professor says at one point, And this was the... I wrote this quote down. Because it was like... I thought this quote encapsulated the book. Those who don't build must burn. And that's the point. It's ignorance. That's what rules this society is ignorance. And any, any other form that doesn't coincide with ignorance is burnt and you know there's an old quote I don't know if I'm, I'm going to butcher it but those who don't write teach or those who don't do teach so it's like this old quote where like if you're trying to be a writer and you're not a good writer then you teach about writing or anything you could, you could put that in anything and that's almost like what it is it's like these people the society, whoever built the society, they were too ignorant to build, so therefore they burn. Um, I did like this book. There were some certain things, because it was written in the 50s and because it was supposed to be a futuristic novel or a novel about the future, there are some technologies that are mentioned, uh, like there are these mechanical dogs uh, that kind of sniff out people who are like lying or you know they're kind of seen as like sentry robots or security robots like they go after bad people now is a little bit hard to, to believe and also the fireproofing of houses 
that just seems like something that'd be almost near impossible. But that wasn't the point. The point was is that they took a service that was supposed to help people and then they completely turned it around and made it hurt people. You know, because if you think of like the police, the police, they're supposed to help people, quote unquote, but they do more damage than good depending on who you talk to. Whereas the firemen, they're supposed to, it's just like the ambulance. Like The ambulance aren't supposed to be there to like rob you while they put you in the ambulance, although they might. But the point is, is the fire departments are just supposed to be there to help you. And then in this society, it's turned to the opposite. So I gave this a four out of five. I did like the book. Uh, just missing that one point, just because it's a little wordy. And also, Guy meets a neighbor who is a young girl. And uh, she's probably somewhere between the ages of 14 to 16. And she is eccentric which is what I was talking about before. And he has never met anyone like that before. And she is, um, she's uh, happy-go-lucky, um, head in the clouds, uh, forward, very forward, and kind of like whimsical. And he, it, it kind of freaks him out at first, but he doesn't react to it badly, but it's just something that consumes him for a while. Like, that's his, excuse me, his entry point or his, his gateway drug into this idea of what if we're doing, what we're doing is wrong. So I don't have a problem with that. It's just he becomes enamored with her, and she's like a young girl, and it kind of is a little off-putting. And... Then when her character character just uh, disappears, it kind of seems a little like... Because she's not in the book for very long. She's not in the story for very long. But again, it's supposed to give him the spark. And then when she goes away, it like pushes him even more to want to be rebellious. Because again, that's what she also represents as rebellion. And that's a no-no in the society. So, I haven't read 1984, but it almost, in a way, is similar to that. Because, of course, they're both dystopian stories. But I think the difference is, in Fahrenheit 451, the people are kind of given a freedom. I mean, they're free to go home. They're free to go to work. They're even free. Like, he, Guy ends up calling out. Like, he ends up stop showing up to work. And it's okay to do that once or twice. But the more he does it, the more suspicious they grow. Because it's almost like in this society you can have a hiccup. Again, it's another analogy of being on drugs. Like when you're on drugs or you're off drugs and you kind of fall off the wagon, as they say, it's okay to have a hiccup because it's going to happen. Like it is going to happen. But what matters is what you do after that hiccup. And I think that's the point of Fahrenheit 451 because he doesn't show up for work like two days and then the chief comes to his house and basically says, like, it's okay for you not to come in, but you have to decide what you want to do after that. And that's where it becomes a dire situation after that moment. It's what you do after is the problem or the issue. Anyway, I did enjoy the book, four out of five. I would definitely recommend it. Um, Yeah. Real quick about Friday Night 451, which I forgot to mention, is it has been adapted a few times. Once in 1966, and the next was 
recently, 2018, and that was an HBO show, a movie, TV movie. Now, I have not seen either, although I am more interested in seeing the 2018 one, because the first one was filmed in 1966, and I don't know, I just feel like this this story could be done in more of a modern take. I did read about Fahrenheit 451, and I think there was more emphasis on what happened before society changed. Um, but and that stars Michael B. Jordan and Michael Shannon. Two Michaels. So, yeah, two adaptations. Okay, that was it. So the second book I'm going to talk about is number 20, Of Mice and Men, written by John Steinbeck in 19... 19- 37. So this is kind of a classic book. This was this wasn't on any list, but I decided to read it as a personal pick because I read it in high school and I also own it. So but Steinbeck, John Steinbeck has been considered one of the greatest American novelists and he's written a lot of other books. Um a lot of the times he focuses on hardworking blue-collar people which is what this is about. And also, some of his stories take place during the Great Depression. Uh, well, I think this might be... This might take place a little bit before the Great... Yeah, okay. It is during the Great Depression. So, um, so it's about these two guys, George and Lenny. And George and Lenny are interesting because they are probably... Have been adapted. Though I mean, just those two characters alone have probably been adapted uh, so many times. Like even if you think of the old uh, nineteen, well, not old, but the nineteen nineties cartoon, Pinky and the Brain. Uh, that's very George and Lenny. So George is short, and he's average intelligence, maybe a little bit above average intelligence, and Lenny is very large, and he is very strong. And he's very simple. It's very, very simple. So these two guys are trying to find work during the Great Depression. And it was obviously extremely difficult to, to find work in the Great Depression. And uh, they eventually go from job to job. And they basically work on... They're migrant field workers. So they work in plantations or whatever they're usually i mean they're shit jobs but they're the only jobs that are around so they basically go from place to place and the beginning of the book they're going to a new plantation to work and you start to get a bit um a little bit of backstory on the two of them so again lenny is very strong, but he is very simple, and he doesn't understand things. So he got into a little bit of a trouble in the last farm that they worked on, and then George kind of was able to get him and Lenny out of there before anything could be done to Lenny. So they go to the new new farm, and you meet all these different people who are working on the farm. And there's a lot of different kinds of people. There's like headstrong people. There's uh, stubborn people. There's people who've, whose lives have been broken. There's old people. Uh, there's one particular character 
who Curly. No, Curly's the the boss's son. I can't remember the, the older character. He uh he lost Candy. Candy lost his hand in an accident. And he worries about his future on the ranch. And basically he was a farmer, but now that he's so old and has lost his hand, he just does more like custodial work, like sweeping and mopping, that sort of thing. And there's also another character, uh, Crooks, who's a African-American stable hand, and he has a crooked back. And he's a proud man, but he's also bitter and cynical. And he's isolated from the other man because of his color. And he he's just a very bitter person. He's very angry because of his condition. And I think you're supposed to believe that he was a strapping young man at one point, but then he became this crooked mess. So you have Lenny, who's... And and the thing is, Lenny is very simple, but he's also very strong. So he can probably do double the amount of work as the next man and not break a sweat. So that's really the reason why George is able to get him into these jobs. Because it's like, this guy can really work. But at the same time, he doesn't understand things. He doesn't understand simple things. He has a terrible, terrible memory. So you have these three characters who are all broken in some way, whether it be physically or mentally or just, uh, you know, um, just uh, uh, metaphorically. And the three characters, they kind of become friendly towards each other because what happens is there's a litter of dogs and while they're at the farm. And of course, George loves little animals. So he goes to the barn to play with his puppy and then he starts to interact with crooks. And Candy has an old dog who's put down and then he gets a dog. And so, you know, it's basically just them living on the farm. And then there's also Curly who is the son of the owner and who's a mean piece of shit. And he's a little guy. Like This is a little guy who's so bitter over people who are taller than him. So, of course, he picks on... Uh, he picks on Lenny, and then Lenny doesn't know how to, how to react to that. And it's just he's a bully. And then there's one real creepy part about uh, Curly just got married. She's young, she's pretty, but she's stuck in the house because she lives on this farm full of men. And of course, Curly is jealous and and also the wife doesn't have anything to do. And so she's, as a woman, she's not written so great because she's kind of just seen as troublemaker. And the creepy part about her relationship with Curly is Curly keeps his hand, one of his hands, in a leather glove and inside the leather glove is Vaseline (laughs) so he keeps his hand very tender and soft for his lady (laughs) so it's kind of creepy but I think it's supposed to add to Curly as a villain because he is a villain 
So, life on the farm is fine for a while, and then on top of all this, Lenny and George have a dream. Really, it's Lenny's dream, but George is, is along with, the, with it. They're going to make as much money as they can so they can buy their own farm. And Lenny loves to hear this dream be told by George. And George tells him what they're going to have and how they're going to make their own, they're going to make their own way, live on the fat of the land, as they say. And Lenny's going to have a bunch of bunnies. So that always calms Lenny down whenever something bad happens or he just likes hearing it in general. And it's a way to distract Lenny. And then, of course, you know, the old man Candy hears about it and he wants in on it. And then Crooks eventually starts in on it. And it's just like this, this dream. And the more the story goes, the more you realize it's probably not going to happen. So I'm not going to spoil the rest of it, but let's just say Lenny is too strong for his own good, which gets him in trouble again. And this is one of the most depressing endings of any book I've read and any book that probably has ever been published. (laughs) Is it a good book? Sure, it's a good book, but it is really depressing and really sad. And Steinbeck's books tend to be. Because he's writing about real life, or at least real life in 1930s. Another thing I found interesting about this book is, I wonder if he was trying to say how our society treats the elderly and the handicapped. Because, you know, Candy's very old, and he's not respected at all. And he has a dog, and the dog is very old. And one of the other bunkmates says, you got to get rid of that dog. Like, you got to put it down. And Candy loves his dog, and he doesn't want to put it down. And then he's basically intimidated, in a way, in letting his dog go. And then the other bunkmate takes the dog out and shoots him. And he has no real grievance of why. It's just because the dog is old, the dog smells, the dog doesn't do anything, the dog can barely walk, the dog can barely eat, so therefore we have to put it down. It's not this person's dog, it's Candy's dog, but he makes the decision that we have to do this. And I wonder if like Steinbeck was making a statement that this character represents our society. And the dog represents the elderly or the handicapped. And the society says, well, they're no good to us. We have to put them down. Or we have to put them away. We have to throw them away, throw away the key. And again, the way that Candy's treated, the way that Crooks is treated, and the way that Lenny is treated, it makes me think we as a society do not care, nor do we sympathize with the elderly, or the handicapped. And, uh, you know, you have to understand this was written in 1930. So Lenny is simple, but I don't know how realistic his affliction is. You know, because he keeps saying he's simple, he's simple. What the fuck does that mean? Like, does he have some sort of medical condition? Sure, but I don't think... They were too keen on these medical conditions to really specifically 
write down its its symptoms. So, Lenny is dumb. Lenny is forgetful. Lenny doesn't understand social cues. What the fuck does that mean? Because even people with handicapped issues act better than Lenny does. <laughs> but, so that's a little bit of an issue. Um, I mean, Lenny's, 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 uh, memory is, like, shot to shit. Like, he, you know, George tries to instill certain things, like, don't do this and don't do that. Yeah, 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 okay, George, okay, George, what did I just say? And he can't repeat it to him. Like, that's bad. That's really bad. But for Lenny to be able to talk just doesn't seem, I don't know, it just doesn't seem realistic. Well, that's not what it's about. Again, I think it's more about how we treat our elderly and how no one was given a break. No one was given a break, especially during the, the Great Depression. And all they've got to live for is this dream. Everyone, it's difficult for everyone to live during that time. How are they ever going to get land or farm working? Uh, let's see. Oh, this, uh, what else? I gave this book a four out of five. Because, again, I really did enjoy this book. and is, But is despite it being depressing. But, uh, and I really did like the message. If that really was the message... But again, you know, Lenny, Lenny's affliction is a little bit hard to swallow. And, yeah. Now, as for adaptions go, oh boy, this has been adapted plenty of times. Because it's not very long, and because there's not that many characters, and because there's not that many locations, it's actually been made into plays many, many, many times. Um... All the way up until more modern times. Like, uh, James Franco did it not that long ago. Probably, like, five years ago. And then movies, there's been tons of movies. Uh, So many people have done this. TV movies. Robert Blake was George. There's just so many. Uh, There was one in... In the 80s, oh, 90s, no, 90s, oh, even radio got in this when uh, when radio was the only thing you could listen to at home. Anyway, it's been adapted a lot. I've seen one, so one with John Malkovich and Gary Sinise, and it's okay, um, but I think the book is better. So there you go, four out of five of Mice and Men, 